Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a look at popular songs of the past and dives into their history, their meaning, or any other things that might be of interest surrounding those songs. My name is Claude Cole, but you didn't hear it from me. Hey, if you want to get in touch with me, well, probably the best way is to find me on Twitter at HowGoodItIsPod, or you can leave a comment on the website HowGoodItIs.com, where you can also find some additional trivia, some follow-ups, and some other stuff that I found interesting. You know, there are a bunch of songs out there out of rock and roll history that we can identify by the very first notes. it's not just the first notes that make the song special although they do it's also the knowledge that everything is going to be different now and only a few songs can really convey that message chances are that was the case with johnny b good i mean i wasn't around at the time but you know i I, i'm pretty sure you know those notes rang out and all of a sudden you're like whoa and i can only imagine like the first time maybe somebody heard uh jefferson airplane somebody to love when when grace slick just bangs out those first few notes And almost certainly, it was the case with this song, which opens like this. Did you catch that? Let me play it again, just in case. Now, lots of songs open with a simple drum shot. And off the top of my head, I can think of a couple. Uh, Hold the Line by Toto or Every Breath You Take by The Police. Uh, For slightly longer drum breaks opening a song, well, you've got uh, It's the End of the World, uh, as we know it, by R.E.M., Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, or Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. And in nearly all of those cases, if I played that opener and just that opener, then you'd probably know exactly what song was coming up. And to me, this one is no exception. You know, when uh, Bruce Springsteen was inducting Bob Dylan into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said... That snare shot sounded like somebody had kicked open the door to your mind. And you know what? He wasn't kidding. When this song first came out, everything changed for Bob Dylan. By all accounts, the song shouldn't even have made it to vinyl, but it did. Bob Dylan was on tour in early 1965, and while Subterranean Homesick Blues, which I'm going to argue is probably one of the first rap records, was an electric track that was all over the radio at the time, Bob Dylan's concerts were still completely acoustic in nature. But during the tour... Dylan started writing this long, free-form piece, and in some accounts it was 10 pages long, and in other accounts it was 20. But by all accounts, Dylan used the word vomit to describe what he'd written. Not that it was bad, but it was just that he was getting down whatever came to mind and letting it run right out of his pen. Now later on, Dylan noted that while the song started out as a kind of hate-filled screed, in the end it was more like a sweet revenge piece. In fact, he told the Saturday Evening Post, 
It was telling somebody something they didn't know, telling them that they were lucky. I had never thought of it as a song until one day I was at the piano and on the paper it was singing. How does it feel in this slow motion pace, in the utmost of slow motion? In fact, the first couple of attempts had the song being played at a waltz tempo. Now the band during those first attempts was Mike Bloomfield, who was playing guitar for Dylan for the first time. Uh, Paul Griffin was on piano, Bobby Gregg was playing drums, and Joseph Macho was on the bass. The group worked on a couple of other songs, neither of which got used, and then they started on Like a Rolling Stone. So this is Dylan playing it for the band's benefit. It's still pretty slow and it's very rough, and you can hear alternate lyrics being used. Once upon a time you dressed so fine You threw the bums a dime in your prime Didn't you? People call, say beware doll You're bound to fall You thought they're all Didn't you? You used to Make fun about Everybody that was hanging out now you don't talk so loud Now you don't seem so proud About having to scrounge your next meal And how does it feel? How does it feel To be out on your own? There you go, and uh, you can actually hear that on the um, the bootleg edition, volumes one through three. Uh, you can get that on CD. Uh, anyway, Dylan stopped recording for the day just about the time the band was starting to get a handle on the tune. Uh, the next day, producer Tom Wilson invited Al Cooper to visit the, the next day session just to watch, but Cooper had something else in mind. He got in early with his guitar before anybody else, and he pretended he belonged there, but when Bloomfield came in and started warming up, well, Cooper realized he was pretty outclassed. Now, during the session, Paul Griffin was jumping back and forth between the piano and the organ. So at one point, Cooper just kind of walked in and sat down at the organ. In his book, Backstage Passes and Backstabbing Bastards, Cooper wrote, Imagine this, there's no music to read, the song is over five minutes long, the band is so loud I can't even hear the organ, and I'm not familiar with the instrument to begin with. But the tape is rolling, and that is Bob Dylan over there singing, so this had better be me sitting here playing something. Well, Bob Dylan actually liked the way Cooper was playing that organ. And if you listen carefully, you'll realize that Cooper is actually an eighth note behind the rest of the band because of his unfamiliarity with both the song and the instrument. He was constantly double-checking the chord before touching the keys. Now you don't seem so proud. 
But it didn't matter. Dylan liked it, and he asked them, hey, turn the organ up in the mix. Well, they recorded the song about 15 times that day, and most of them were deemed unusable because they were too fast. The one that made it onto the record was Take 4. So the record hit the store on uh, July 20th, 1965, only a couple of days before the infamous Newport Music Festival, where he debuted the song as part of his first electric set ever. And most people know what happened there. The crowd hated him. They actually booed at the idea of Dylan going electric. Personally, I'm thinking it's because he didn't open the song with the snare shot, because that was a sign that everything's going to be different from now on. Now, incidentally, I keep making a big deal about the snare shot, but if you listen carefully, it's really a double beat. So you've got the snare shot plus a bit of kick drum. Listen again carefully. One more time. Okay, just once more. Well, because it was so different from his other stuff, and because the song is over six minutes long, Columbia Records didn't have a lot of faith in the record's ability to do much. But the fact is, it is the most popular single of his career. It peaked at number two, and it was blocked out of the top spot by the Beatles' help. It allowed Dylan to stop being a folk musician and turned him into a rock star just on the strength of this record. And according to an article in Rolling Stone magazine from about two years ago, Dylan has played it live 2,024 times. That's second only to All Along the Watchtower. But the article also notes that he hasn't played it at all since 2013. Oh, and here's one more thing. Also around the time of that article, somebody purchased a set of the handwritten lyrics for $2 million, nearly twice what the auction house thought it would bring in. But once again, I bumped into a weird coincidence because just a couple of weeks ago, a single sheet of lyrics written and signed by Dylan this year is going up for auction, where it's expected to take in about $125,000. So I think Mr. Dylan has done okay for himself, yes? So there aren't a ton of covers for this record. Uh, probably the best known is, is by Jimi Hendrix, which I'm not going to play here. Um, but the other thing I wanted to point you to is a couple of years ago, somebody put together an interactive video that involves this song. Okay, And what you do is you go to the site where the video is, and it's intended to be a, um, like a simulated TV. Okay, So you watch the video, and you have all these different people who are lip-syncing the song. So you're hearing Dylan, you're seeing all these other people, but what happens is you're able to click on the video and you basically change the channel and you can do this at will. So at one point you'll see Drew Carey on The Price is Right lip-syncing this song, okay, as though it were an episode of The Price is Right. And then you click and it'll be, um, Mark Marin uh, interviewing somebody at his table, but again, it's looking like he's lip-syncing the song. And then you click again, and it's a weather reporter who is lip-syncing the song. It's the craziest thing ever. Go to the website, okay? Go go to the website, uh, howgooditis.com, okay? Check out the link. It takes a little bit of time to load the page, okay? But once you do, you're going to have a riot with it. It's really neat. And that's all we've got for this edition of How Good It Is. Listen, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. But probably the best way, follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. You can direct message me that way. Or 
You can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I'm going to throw in a few extra bits for you, like that interactive video. I swear to God, it's really cool. Next time, we're going to discover how good it is to get underneath some covers. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then. <laughs>